Sorry about that. I almost didn't make it in time to tape this episode. The traffic was terrible. All these cars in my way. Man, there was just too many people on this planet. Anyway, let's look at the first slide. Huh. Wow. That's relevant. And what it means is that to the guy behind me in that traffic, I was just another car in the way. But I'm not just something in the way. I'm a whole person with likes and dislikes and hopes and dreams and, uh uh-oh, uncomfortable truth approaching. All of these cars have real people in them. And just what I can see here, there are people with more story and value and complexity than I could possibly imagine. How could I have ever seen them as just an annoyance? And it goes beyond that. The human race has a major problem with seeing other people as inconsequential or disposable or adversarial. But how do you snap out of it? It's a tough one to solve, but with the help of social psychology, celestial thought patterns, and a wee bit of the microcosm emulating the macrocosm, we just might have a shot. And I think it's a shot we've got to take, because, you know, the payoff would be pretty sweet. Stay tuned. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. That's what I usually say at the beginning of Swedenborg and Life, but this is not just another episode. It's like a serious deal. So give yourselves a round of applause. Thanks for coming. Um, full, full disclosure, this is more people than I thought would show up, um, but we, we're, we're prepared. I'll just say the same things more times. Uh, this, we're celebrating our 100th episode of the program. So this is a little over two years ago, we started doing this broadcast on Monday night. It resembled nothing like what we're going to do tonight, but hopefully it's been a good evolution. Just a couple of brass tacks, as they say. This, this is the Swedenborg Foundation putting that on, this on. Uh, more to follow about my t-shirt later. Uh, we're an independent nonprofit that works to get the ideas of Swedenborg into the conversation. And if you haven't heard of Emanuel Swedenborg, buckle your seatbelt. Uh, go watch the previous 99 episodes. Uh, we're, this is the show where we take his recorded spiritual experiences and we take life and we try to see where do these parallel, where do these intersect, and how can the one help us do the other one better. And we're really going to be looking at that, hopefully in a tangible way. Tonight, I want to thank Bernathan College for giving us this space to do this in. I want to thank all of you for doing it. And if you're watching on the web, no, normally... People are only watching on the web. Still, you guys can still get your questions in in the chat room. We'll answer a couple of those at the end. And uh, everybody who's here, we can, we can talk as much as you want after the show. So it's going to be great. Let's get down to it. We promised you easy ways to love everyone, so we better deliver. And we're going to start with section one. And I'm back. It makes more sense online. Um, but that's just to kind of clear the palate because we're going to be digest- or ingesting a lot of information here. So we want to give you these little breaks just to whoo, let some things sink in because we got to walk out of here with something we can use, right? Or else, or else what's the point? So we're going to be looking at three simple ways to love everyone, and that involves a different way of thinking about people. But, but why think about people differently? We already think about people. Right? We already know a lot of people. We already engage with them in a lot of ways. Why would we want to change or attempt to change any of our programming around people? Well, so I think to explain that, we're going to use the parable of the smartphone. So pretend that, let's say Matt, 
who does the graphics on our show. Let's say that he bought himself a new smartphone, but it wasn't hooked into the network. So he was here, he, but he couldn't make any calls. It couldn't get on the internet. It's just a machine out of the box. It can still do some cool things. I mean, you have a calculator. If you got a big math problem that you need to solve, there it is, right? Or let's say you want to fill up your calendar. There's an itinerary there. Oh, no events on there. That'll fill up, I'm sure. But you can do a few things. You can use it as like a flashlight. But if you use it the way it was designed and you hook it up to the network, suddenly you have everything the human race has in the palm of your hand. You can communicate with your friends. You can learn not only current news, but everything. You can listen to Weezer, not their best album. You can watch our show, which is the pinnacle of technology. You are suddenly connected to everything that the human race has put out. Your little phone talks to these satellites up in the above this stratosphere. I don't know anything about space. And they talk back to you, and that can hook you up with your real life friends. You can actually meet up, and just so happens his friends are other people who work on the show. We're, we're a tight knit group. Um, break that fourth wall already. So that's how, if you use a smartphone. But what if we were to use our minds in the way that they were designed? And that's what we're going to look at today. Is there a major upgrade, a major mental upgrade that we could make? And we're going to attack this premise by the idea that our minds have a design as well that we can work into. Uh, and this idea came out of Swedenborg, as does everything that, that drives our weird, uh, weird trajectory on this show. And he, at one point, just lays out the design, of the, the, uh, the divine design, he calls it, that we're meant to follow with our minds. So if we follow this, could we similarly plug in? Not that we'll suddenly have these super abilities to know everything, but, but the abilities come in, in terms of happiness and enab enabling us to relate well to people. And, and find kindness in situations where we usually couldn't find it. So can we do that? We're going to start, this is going to start at 100 miles an hour. This is like a typically relatively confusing Swedenborg quote, but here he lays out five points about the divine design. So this is the way we're supposed to be using the mind. Okay, so this is from his book, True Christianity, number 71. One, God is the divine design itself. Two, he created humankind on the basis of his design and in keeping with it, and built that design into us. 3. He created our rational minds in imitation of the divine design in the whole spiritual world, and our bodies in imitation of the divine design in the whole physical world. This is why the ancients called a person both a heaven in miniature and a world in miniature. 4. As a result, it is a law of the divine design that we are to rule our microcosm, or physical world in miniature, from our micro heaven, or spiritual world in miniature, just as God rules everything about the macrocosm or physical world from his macro heaven or spiritual world. Nothing to it, right? Are we there? Okay. To recap that, we can live in the divine design by making the psychological, emotional, like the spiritual part of us an image of heaven, while the outer part of us is an image of the world. That's what he says anyway. And we, we can't really change the outer part of us that much. I mean, trust me, I've been trying to exercise. It's not that easy. Um, but you can, you can change, change the, the thoughts and feelings or the patterns of those. That, I mean, that's the idea that he's putting out there. So what we need to do, all we got to do is make our minds like heaven. 
and then this whole thing works out. So we're going to spend the rest of the show trying to untangle what that could look like. And what, what, who, who, who's to say what heaven is or what it isn't? Well, it's Swedenborg. I mean, this show is Swedenborg in life. Um, so let's look a little bit at what he says the mindset of heaven is as regards specifically to people. And if we can get there, start to practice this, we can plug into this design better. And then from there, hopefully reap all these benefits. And I say this because we do already run a default program on how we think about people, but it's not often very high quality. Uh, for example, there, there's different ways we think about people when we're kind of asleep to it or unconscious to it. For example, uh, if you were ever in airport security, think about it. You're the, let's say we're that third guy back. What does he think about those people in front of him? These are obstacles, right? If, if there was not these, why do these people need to go visit their parents? I, I need to go and these people are in my way, right? So, and we just subconsciously, traffic is the ultimate example of that. People are just in our way. There's something in our way. So we just reduce people to obstacles. Also, in a more involved sense, let's say we're this friendly Elvis impersonator there with a red collar, okay? That's us. This other guy moves to town, and he's got like a lay on. He's got these nice like Bono glasses. He's right in front of the sign. Is he doing better than we are? Suddenly that guy becomes a rival, Right? Did anybody have rivals? Don't put your hands up. But that these are people who we sort of feel like are competing for the same space. If they would just get transferred, life would be a lot easier. Uh, so we, we subconsciously just think of people as rivals. Uh, also, let's say that we're rock stars and all these people are coming to, to show up and, and promote our stuff. Um, we could just think, of, like, look how cool I am. When we count the people and however many people, that's how cool. These people are just like sort of gems in my crown of greatness. You know, how often are we trying to put a post up? How many likes does it get? All these people are, which is fine, but we all do it. But it's like, okay, these people are sort of like bling for me, you know? There's that one. And then finally, um, some people we see as a a place we can release our frustrations. If you've ever worked in customer service um, and and you know somebody's mad at the company and they're just kind of the first person they got on the phone, I need to unload on someone so it's going to be you. So those are the kinds of ways we unconsciously start to think about people and treat people, but that's not very cool, is it? Because it's not accurate. I mean, that's not what those people, any of those people are. None of us are that one-dimensional. And when we sit down and think about it, we know that. We know that everybody else is having to deal with life just like we are, but how do we remember that? And how do we treat people in a way that's going to honor that reality? Well, that's what we're looking at here, and we're going to give you three ways to do it. And the first one We'll start in section two. Did you miss me? We promised on the poster for this, on that slide that was up there, we said three simple ways. So we better give them to you, right? There's going to be a lot of unsatisfied customers here. This is the first way. So instead of, instead of when we see people, we say, I want this person to be happier than I am in a good way. In a good way? In a good, that doesn't make sense. That seems a little redundant. Can we erase that part? Okay. I'm sure that won't come up later in the show for any reason. This is the program I want us to run. Instead of we say this person is an object or this person is a rival or this person is some kind of problem, when we see somebody, we think, I want this person to be happier than I am. 
So maybe some of you are not convinced at this point. What does that do? What does that exercise do? Let's, let's look at that because then we'll be able to tell is this good fruit or not. Let's practice it. Uh, let's, let's go for a walk down a busy street. You guys want to do that? Okay, here we are. We're walking along. There's a bunch of people or there's that guy there. I hope I don't accidentally bump into him. No, no, no. That's a, that's a human being. That's like a full human being. And so what do we have to say about that guy? I want that person to be happier than I am. And when we say that, what does that do? That forces us initially to acknowledge, one, that he's having a conscious experience, right? I mean, you, if you are thinking about this person, I'd like him to be happy, he has to be a thing that can be happy, right? So you have to in that, because it's not that we don't know it, but when you're just walking, you don't even really realize that the people walking in the other direction they're seeing you just like you're seeing them. So this just basically reminds us to think of that guy. I want him to be happier than I am. Oh, he, he can be happy. So that's one thing. He's conscious. The second thing is there are specific things that make this guy happy. How, how often do we think about what makes other people happy or, or guess at it for people that we don't know? Maybe this guy's a musician, right? He loves music for whatever reason or certain kinds of it. Maybe he loves his dad. That's a picture of his dad there, as you can tell. Maybe he's a stamp collector. Probably he's a stamp collector. And if he is, that takes us farther because then we have to think about why. Why does that make him happy? Because he loves completing a set or because he loves history? What is it? So immediately that forces us to start thinking of him as a three-dimensional human being. Like we, we begin to gain complexity in how we think about this guy, right? And then finally, or third, he has a trajectory. How often do we think of the fact that this person that I'm passing on the sidewalk today is going to be alive tomorrow, doing something tomorrow. I mean, we just think of them for the moment they intersect with our lives. But he's got a trajectory. And we're hoping that it's a, it's a good one for him now. And then finally, he's a human. He's not a thing. Subconsciously, we just think, oh, this person's in my way. This person's walking here. This, to, to even just sit there and say in your mind, I want this person to be happier than I am. I've been trying it in the weeks leading up to this. That's, that's where I got these bullet points from, is I just noticed, what does this open up in me when I actually try it? That's what I found. You may find more than that. But that, to me, radically changes my experience of, of a neutral person, and actually feels pretty good. Every time I've done it, it's been like, hey, that was fun. I mean, yeah, that's good for the, I'll, I'll talk about it during the show. So that's, that's with somebody we don't know, we just met. But it can work, I think it can work as well on people that we already know and like. For example, let's say this is our friend. There she is. She's nice. We know her. What's, uh, what should we name her? What do you guys think? Just call something out. Yeah. Say it again? Yeah. Okay. What's it? Did somebody say chrysanthemum? Okay, chrysanthemum. <laughs> That's it. We'll call her Chrissy. We already know Chrissy. We like it. She walks up to us and we say hi. But instead of just like, oh, there she is. Instead, we're going to say, I want chrysanthemum, whatever her last name is. Violet, to be happier than I am. And we don't mean, when we say happier than I am, not like, great, well, I'll just make myself miserable and then it worked. I mean even happier, even happier than I am. You, you follow me? Uh, we want this person to be even happier than I am. You, you never think like that. You always think like, I'm going to get as happy as I can and, and the happier I am than them, then I'll be even happier. But no, we want, we want her to be happier than we are. So what does that do even, even to a friend? Well, first of all, it affects how you interact with them. I mean, suddenly you just have that in the back of your mind that this is a person that, that I can actually be a part of their happiness. 
affecting it positively or negatively. So I'm going to try to go positive. Then next, uh, it makes, I've noticed it makes me think more holistically about their life, if that makes sense. You think about happiness as this thing. Think about your own happiness. It depends on a number of things going well, right? It can be, it can be uh, shaken by particular events, it, but it takes like not just one thing going right, but a number of them. You start to think about her life as a whole, or that's what I've found. And then finally, it, it, suddenly we have potential, we think about our impact with them and we think about potential goals. Like, so, I don't know if I would have a goal normally when someone's coming up to me. They, I would just, my goal is to say something funny so they think I'm cool. Right? But now, it's, now it is, how, how can I contribute to her happiness? And maybe you're already thinking that, but, but it can sort of affect things. So we can apply this to friends, you know, and that's, that's, about, uh, that's about what we can do. Boring. Seriously, man? You're heckling me right now? In the middle of it? Come on, you could have come to something else. You could, you, there's a lot. Of... Oh, no. We got to try this right now? Even now? Okay. So what do you do if it's somebody who's, who's not necessarily that nice to you? Notice that in a good way is back. I don't know if that's going to play in, but I got it. So people can see. Do you mind if I just take a picture? Heckler man. All right. Uh, let's see. Flash on. Okay. Uh, that's great. Okay. Let me put it in the computer. Oh, man. It's brutal. This is not the guy that works at the Swedenborg Foundation you saw on the way in. This is just some, some guy. So I want this person to be happier than I am. So what are we going to say? Like, oh, I hope that he, like, the next thing he says really makes me cry, right? Because he'd love that, right? Because he's, he's a heckler. So that doesn't, that doesn't seem to add up. I mean, we don't, like, I hope this guy, like, heck, sets a world record for heckling at events and that kind of, That doesn't quite add up. So what is it? Well, that's where this in a good way comes in, um, and we have to, if we're wanting happiness for people, we don't want low quality, we want full quality happiness. And that only comes from, from going after the good and the true in life. I mean, this, we know that. We know, and movies know that. that the, the, to do something that's actually love-based, to live a life that's kind, leads to actual happiness. So for this one, we're going to want him to be happy and happy doing good things. So we've got to kind of imagine him as his best self. <laughs> Look how comfortable that made those other audience members. That's great. I don't even remember taking that picture. Okay. So this is part of the exercise um, that we can apply to him. We can think, all right, we know this guy right now. Right, He's in the mood. For, for whatever reason, he's going to say that. But let's think about, let's imagine him possessing the opposite quality. Let's imagine him kind. Let's imagine him supportive. All those kinds of things. Whatever we need to do to get it to be a place where we can say, I want him to be happier than I am, and the happiness that he would get would be something that would really be true happiness. So we got to do that. Um, why? Why do we want to do that in all these different situations? Because we're trying to make our minds into heaven, and according to Swedenborg, that principle that we've been going over for this whole section is heaven. This is Secrets of Heaven, Swedenborg's book, Secrets of Heaven, 452. He says... Heaven is wishing better for others than for ourselves with all our heart and serving others for the sake of their own happiness, not for any selfish goal, but for love. So we didn't just pull that idea out of nowhere. This is the, so for, if anyone hasn't heard of Swedenborg, he says that heaven is a state of mind that you can reach. And the way we reach it is, is part of it is 
this principle. He goes on there to define it solely by this principle. So if we could start to just gain a taste for this as sort of a spiritual food, that's a good shot. And where, where do we get this whole idea about uh, we got our, our heckler buddy. Why do we want to give him the benefit of the doubt? Well, Swedenborg has this interesting treatise on when we are motivated by love, we actually think about the good in people. And when we're motivated by not so much love, that's when we look to criticize and judge and blame people. You don't got to take my word for it. This is Secrets of Heaven 1079. Those who lack all kindness, which is us on any given day, want to examine and in fact judge everyone and crave nothing more than to find evil, constantly bent as they are on condemning, punishing, and torturing others. That's pretty intense. Those who are guided by kindness, on the other hand, hardly even notice evil in another, but pay attention instead to everything good and true in the person. When they do find anything bad or false, they put a good interpretation on it. This is a characteristic of all angels, one they acquire from the Lord who bends everything bad toward good. So if it's good enough for the angels, it might be, might be okay for us to give it a shot. So do you guys want to try it? Okay. This might, now, there may be some of you who are feeling a little bit of resistance. So for your sakes, we're going to put up this asterisk on the screen. And what this represents is there's, there's a dynamic here about, well, what about setting boundaries and what about enabling? And, do we, we, you know, if, if, I just, if I just let Brian get away with that, what's he going to do to the next person? We're going to address that later in the show. That's what they asked. We're going to have a footnote at the end of the show. So relax about it. Take it. Table it. Okay? And so for, for 30 seconds, we, I want you to try. Just think of a real person. And it could be any of these categories, someone you're struggling with, somebody that you know and like already, or somebody who you just saw but don't know anything about. And just imagine wanting them to be happier than, than you even are, and, and happy in a good, full way. So we're just going to have like 30 seconds of, of music, try it out, and, and just see how it feels and see, see what your mind reveals about it. It's not like we have to do this every single time we see anyone. That takes too much time. But every, maybe once a day? I mean, that, that, that could be doable. According to Swedenborg, this is like hooking up to network. You know, this is, this is the design. Actually, this is the default way of thinking that we're supposed to have. We, we kind of got our circuitry crossed. That's a long story. Watch the previous 99 episodes. Um, specifically, we did an episode called The Spiritual History of the Human Race, which, which digs into that. But that's the program that we're supposed to be running. Um, and so, run it every once in a while. Let me know what your results are. But I want to focus a little more on why, why separate people into parts? Why, why to say in a good way so that if, if somebody is acting negative, we just kind of put that aside and, and look at the good in them? Why are we doing that? Well, we're going to talk about it in the next section. All right? So I'll, I'll see you there after this break. anything? Okay, good. We're gonna, there's sort of two core ideas in this section. This is the section we're going to give you your second way. That was the first way. 
We're going to give you the second way here. There are two ideas that kind of comprise this, this particular tool. Um, and the first one, we're going to go to a quote, not from Swedenborg, but from uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. And she's, maybe you've heard this one before. Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. What does it mean? Nobody knows. But, so just take that, put that in a part of your great mind somewhere, and we're going to go into the rest of it, but that, that, that informs part of this concept. So this is, we're going to look at way number two. So first we had, when we see someone, rather than just having some negative, unconscious reaction to them, we say, I want this person to be happier than I am in a good way. The second thing we say when we see a person, and maybe the first thing, depending on how they're acting, is the following. This person is not their anger. This person is not their annoyingness, right? This person is not their negative attribute. This is one that social psychology is trying to tell us to do. When I, I went to college, believe it or not, and I learned some things there, and my favorite thing that I learned was called the fundamental attribution error. And you don't have to take it from me. Here, here's somebody to explain a little more of what that concept is. The fundamental attribution error is a really interesting concept from social psychology. Imagine you're driving down the street and out of nowhere, some guy comes in from the other lane and he cuts you off and he almost runs you off the road. And you think, what a jerk. Well, the fundamental attribution error has something to say about that. When something happens to you or someone does something that you don't agree with, you're more likely to blame it on that person's personality. You would say that person's a jerk, he's not thinking, he's mean. And you wouldn't necessarily think about the situation that that person is in that causes them to act the way that they did. However, imagine that you're the person that cuts off the driver behind you. Well, you're gonna think, I'm late for work, I might lose my job, I need to get in on time, or I'm so busy I'm just not thinking, it's okay, I do a lot of really good things in my life in other places. So when you are acting perhaps unfavorably or in a way that you wouldn't normally act, you're always going to consider the situation that's causing you to do so. And you, did you, did you get that? To me that's the coolest thing. When, when, you, when somebody else messes up, Oh, it's because they're not good at that. When you mess up, it's, oh, the sun was in my eyes, you know, or the, the wind took it, right? That, that's it. And it's called the fundamental attribution error because it's so widespread that, that we almost all do it all the time. And the road is an easy example, but you assign things as character traits. Somebody does something bad, someone else does something bad, that's because that's it's who they are. That's part of who they are. You do something bad, ah, oh, I didn't get a lot of sleep, you know, which I didn't, but... Um, <laughs> I have a cute little daughter. Um, so so that, that is the fundamental attribution error. And we're actually going to out fundamental attribution error, the fundamental attribution error in this show. And I'll tell you what I mean. So let's pretend that, that uh, this, this is our boss here. Uh, we just submitted this report to her, and we're on the other end of that phone. And she doesn't like this at all. Right? She, she thinks we did bad work, and she's letting us know verbally that that happened. Right? What we imagine just in default is that she's got that anger inside her. You see that? And that anger is just something that she's creating, and it's a problem. It's coming out whenever she talks to us. And we have her as the problem, and we're the victim on the phone. Right? That's, that's kind of the, the default setting. The fundamental attribution error would say consider the situation that's external to her. Maybe she's got her own deadlines. Maybe she's stressed out. Maybe she didn't sleep. You know, give her a break. You don't know why she's doing that, which is fine. But uh, according to Swedenborg, 
everything is situational. Because the fundamental attribution error is just trying to balance when is it more the situation and when is it more your internal characteristics. But with Swedenborg, he says that, that even the negative stuff that isn't because uh, we're tired that day, even that is coming from outside us and it's actually attacking us and through us to other people. So from, from a Swedenborgian perspective, we have that big ball of anger, which he called this mindset hell. Right? And that actually what's happening here is coming out of that anger is these sort of offshoots that get into people and cause them to do harm. That's what's coming through her when she's yelling at us and pushing her into doing that and causing her to do that. There's actually two victims here. The problem is the anger, right? We're a victim, obviously. She is too, though. It might not seem like that right away, but living by any of these negative principles in the long run degrades your quality of life, harms your relationships. You have kind of that downside to it, but also, according to Swedenborg, we're building our spirits in this world, and you, you, it seriously harms your ability to build a healthy spirit, to have that stuff. So that actually, in a way, she's been captured by this negative thing. And that if we can separate, like, even if she's given us a hard time, what would she be like without the anger? The anger is not something intrinsic to her. Do you know what I'm saying? All right, we'll give you another example. Let's say that there's somebody driving down the road, and it's a nice day, and they're going the speed limit, that's fine, and oh, can. Can out the window. What do we think about them? Litter bugs? Lazy? Something worse? Okay. Instead, let's imagine that guy, what would he be like without that laziness? And that might seem like a non-starter, but to me it makes a difference. When I think about, oh, there's that guy, there is this laziness, that's a thing that's attached onto him, but it's not him. But in that example, let's say that we, that can there, what if that's a beer can, right? Then we got a whole larger problem, right? Because he's a danger in all, the, in all these kinds of ways. How could we say that he's kind of a victim in the same, in the same situation? Well, again, don't take my word for it. Let's, let's hear what Psychology has to say, so here we have Dr. Sony Werner relating the, this idea of addiction to some of the things that Swedenborg says and this idea of kind of the helplessness that we get in when we're facing these negative situations. I'm fascinated with uh, just the general idea of giving somebody the benefit of the doubt, that same old phrase. I revisit that every day. And I think in the writings it talks about how after we die, the angels that greet us are so benevolent and they just look for any good in you. So like a patchwork quilt, they look for those patches of goodness. And they assume that you tried. Maybe you didn't understand that you were hurting somebody, or maybe you didn't understand the rules, or maybe you were overly persuaded by a persuasive leader. Or even worse, maybe you were completely captivated by um, an addiction. And now from a neurology point of view, we now know exactly what's going on in the brain when somebody is really struggling with an addiction. So for instance, they can put people who are addicts, <clears throat> particularly cocaine addicts, that's really one of the hardest to heal. And these people just really struggle. Once they get excited about cocaine and they want to try it, and if they get to the point of addiction, it's really hard for them to change. And you just sort of have to understand that that's the reality. Whereas alcohol, marijuana, and other things, we have a better success rate. If somebody wants to change, they can. Okay, so if you have people who are really seriously addicted, 
When you, when you do some tests, if they're willing to have scientists actually measure their brain, you find fascinating things. So imagine them lying down in this fMRI machine, which you can actually do activities, minimal activities, but then they take pictures of the brain while you're doing them. And so some of the findings are things like, when a person is winning like a little gambling game, certain parts of the brain light up. It's called the reward center. One of them is called the nucleus accumbens. And it's just really excited. It's flooded with dopamine. Like, oh goody, I'm gonna win. Sort of like when you're at Las Vegas and you're gonna win. But the part of your brain that is your memory, like the last time you lost a gamble, or the last time you got in trouble, or you gave away all the money, or whatever it was, you don't remember. It's like your memory turned off, like the light is off. Whereas somebody who has more of a normal brain, they are able to remember, oh, the last time I got too drunk, or the last time I drank or drove, or the last time, oh, there were consequences. Either I drove dangerously, or I wasted all the money gambling, or I hurt somebody, said terrible things. I remember, and then that triggers your conscience to go, oh, I better not overdo it again. But that part turns off. And so, wow, they are then really vulnerable to the influence at a medical level or a neuroscience level of that flood of dopamine, just do what I want. At a spiritual level, you could say they are completely at the mercy of evil spirits. It's, it's easy for us to just say, well, why'd you do that? Like, don't, don't keep doing that, you know, but for someone who's been within addiction or, or been captured in that kind of way that she's talking about, you just realize it's, it's very difficult to change course. And for them to scan somebody's brain and see, oh, your, your memory, the thing that's supposed to save you from this, like, remember, there are consequences to this, that that actually shuts off in people who are addicted. So we're starting to get a sense of, like, the way somebody is, is captured by these negative things rather than it's just them just not thinking and, and being stupid, right? This is what we're looking at. And actually, this can apply to beyond just people who are addicted. This can apply to all kinds of negative behaviors. There was a guy who actually wrote a book called Capture, Unraveling the Mystery of Mental Suffering. David A. Kessler, MD, was his name. And we had a quote in here that I feel like really goes with this second idea that we're getting at, the, the idea that this person is not their negative attribute. So here's his quote from his book. This is sort of him summing up the book, so you're welcome. You don't have to go read the book. After years of research, I have come to the conclusion that there is, in fact, a common mechanism underlying many of our emotional struggles and mental illnesses. Simply put, a stimulus, a place, a thought, a memory, a person takes hold of our attention and shifts our perception. The theory of capture is composed of three basic elements, narrowing of attention, perceived lack of control, and change in affect or emotional state. Sometimes these elements are accompanied by an urge to act. When something commands our attention in a way that feels uncontrollable and, in turn, influences our behavior, we experience capture. And his whole thesis was that these negative behaviors people are in, they're captured by those rather than they're doing those. So he goes on to talk about a little of the physiology uh, of what it is. Capture arises from a vast and complex circuitry in the brain. The brain is composed of neurons organized in discrete layers, networks, and regions. Every time we experience something new, a neural pattern is created in response. Over time, those neural patterns become associated with anything that evokes that experience. 
when we remember this kind of experience or something connected to this experience, or even when we do something that calls to mind a thought or feeling we associate with this experience, these neural patterns are reactivated. So there's a reinforcing mechanism that we kind of, you kind of get trapped and you, you get your blinders on more and more and can't see a different way to react to the situation. And what Swedenborg does is says that everything in the physical world is reflecting a spiritual reality. So those neural networks in the brain are a physical representation of this spiritual capture that's also going on with people. And he puts it in no uncertain terms here in Secrets of Heaven 6203. Um, and this is talking about hell, which is all that would lead to all these behaviors we're talking about, how it overtakes a person's mind. About the origin in hell of the influence of evil. When we plunge into evil, first by consent, then with set purpose, and finally as our heart's delight, the hell that revels in the same sort of evil opens up. When we come into evil this way, then if that hell also exerts an influence, then, then if that hell also exerts an influence on us, the evil clings. The hell whose sphere of influence we are then in is at the peak of its pleasure because it is indulging in evil, so it does not let up but presses on relentlessly. It makes us think about the evil intermittently at first, but then whenever anything related comes to mind, in the end it comes to dominate our entire mind. I'm not trying to scare you, but what, what I'm tr the point I'm trying to get across is Swedenborg, in his experiences, if you haven't watched the show, he says he visited heaven, visited hell, saw the effect of each of those on the human mind, and that, that the way that negative stuff works is it doesn't just sit there and wait for you to use it. It goes after you and tries to get you to continue to focus on it and continue to work with it, just like these neural networks that he's talking about in captive. So what we're trying to do here tonight is to understand that and then apply it in thinking to people so that rather than blaming them for all of the harm that they're causing, think about how they, they were a victim of this thing. How many times can we start into something negative or, or what we would call evil because we're young or because we're ignorant or something like that. The whole point of this is to get us to realize this person was also victimized too. So I, at the beginning, I gave you this Eleanor Roosevelt quote. Did anyone remember that I did that? Um, this is where that comes in. The whole point of the show, if you remember back to the beginning, we try to get our mind to be like heaven so that we can live a heavenly life. Well, angels do this, according to Swedenborg, he met him, he talked to him, and they, they do this separating of negative attributes from people. And he describes it here, Secrets of Heaven 8343. When angels think and speak about the hells, then they think and speak about falsity and evil in the abstract, separate from hell's inhabitants. Angels always set aside any thought of the person staying with the thought of the thing itself. What that means is they don't think Oh, man, all these people who are... And if you, if you haven't heard of Swedenborg, he has, a, he has his whole own uh, definition of, of what heaven is, what hell is. Again, see our other episodes. We have many on, on that. But essentially, when angels are thinking about these people that are devoted to evil, they don't think, oh, man, you know, there's Joe, and he's a total jerk. There's Susie. She's awful, right? They think instead about greed. They think about rage. They think about revenge. All these abstract, that's what they're set against. They're not against the people. And that's where we're trying to get. We're trying to get it so that we're not against these people. We're trying to help free them from it. Uh, and this might bring up an asterisk again because same sort of dynamic. How you, don't, you don't want to enable. You don't want to. So again, let's take that. The shelf is getting full, but you can put it on the shelf there. And we'll address this at the end. So for now... Let's just, without, without any uh, of that to worry about, let's just think about somebody that bothers you. 
Don't tell them that if it's the person next to you, don't say it. Um, <laughs> but let's get that person in our minds, and we're just going to have 30 seconds to think this person is not whatever it is that bothers you. And what I, what's been powerful to me is to imagine them as the opposite of that, you know? And you can even imagine that they've had some kind of life journey where they grow to understand that this thing is harmful. Whatever it, you know, let your mind do what it wants to do, but how can you, in your mind, see an image of them without that, realizing that this thing is not them? So get your person. Could be me, because if you're, if you're really not enjoying the presentation. Um, we're going to have 30 seconds just to let that blossom. Writing this show, it actually came up. There was somebody doing something that was making me agitated, and I was trying this. And what I noticed is, like, immediately, or pretty pretty close to immediately, once I'd calmed down, it really makes you realize, oh, we're all on the same team when you get down to the core of it. You know, there are these negative traits that cause friction and harm, and there's misunderstandings. But once we look at those as the problem, then you're just like, you, you, I, I don't. For me, it felt like. Oh, we're, we're friends. Beneath all this, we're friends. So not such a bad feeling to have. Uh, and also, another reason that we would not separate traits from people is that any state that a person is in is temporary, right? We tend to think of people, other people as kind of static, but really they have a whole life ahead of them, and that's going to be what we focus on in our last section. That's the last time we're going to do that. Kind of sad, right? We're already, already there. Do you want me to do it again right now? No. We said three ways. We're going to give you your money's worth here. This, so the third thing, we know we want to think about this. We want this person to be even happier than we are. We know that they're not whatever's getting to us about them. The third thing is this. We think this person has a future. And I want to look more at what this future is like. Just as a completely, uh, on a totally normal, don't bring Swedenborg and heaven and hell into it level, this makes sense. Uh, for example, you, you have a timeline of a person. You might see them at a low point, but maybe that's just right before they're kind of hitting their bottom. They learn from it, they integrate, and then a couple years down the road, they're doing amazing things based on those experiences. And that's not hypothetical. People really do this. There was this lady named Tracy Helton Mitchell. Um, she was in a movie. This is not her on the cover, but she was in this documentary called Black Tar Heroin because she was a heroin addict for a very, very long time. And uh, she was just interviewed on NPR. There's, uh, she said she wanted to be in this documentary because she thought she was going to die soon of an overdose and that if she was in this documentary, it would outlive her and at least do some good. 
Well, now she just wrote this book called The Big Fix. Uh, she's like a mother of, I think, three kids now, like head of the PTA, living like a suburban soccer mom kind of life. But also, she's a major advocate for getting people the kind of help that they need to overcome the kind of things that she was in. So there's just a, uh, a you know, in the, in the normal life, this, this overcoming of that. So anybody, you might see them wrapped up in negativity. Maybe it's, not, maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's something else. They have a trajectory. They have a future. But it, it gets even better when you think about it from a spiritual perspective. The Swedenborg talked about our spiritual trajectory and that he was a, you know, a big believer in the survival of consciousness after death. He said that we, in thinking about people, we should be thinking that this is a person who's going to have a future there as well. And he describes a little bit of what this future is like in his book, Divine Providence, uh, number 67, which this is a reading from here. We are by creation heavens in smallest form, and therefore images of the Lord. And since heaven is made up of as many desires as there are angels, each of which is a person as to its form, it follows that the constant effort of divine providence is for each of us to become a heaven in form, and therefore an image of the Lord. Further, since this is accomplished by means of the desire for what is good and true, it is for us to become that desire. This, then, is the constant effort in divine providence. The very heart of providence, though, is that we should be in some particular place in heaven, or in some particular place in the divine heavenly person, and therefore in the Lord. This is what happens for people whom the Lord can lead to heaven. Since the Lord foresees this, He also constantly provides for it, with the result that all of us who are allowing ourselves to be led to heaven are being prepared for our own places in heaven. If you're not familiar with Swedenborg's concept of the grand human or the grand man, uh, he says that the human body is an image of heaven because there's so much interdependence there and interconnectedness, and every little element in the human body is working for the good of the whole. And that human beings individually, we can live in that same kind of community. And he says that what he found was actually heaven is organized that tightly and that interdependently. And if we're thinking about people and their future, their trajectory, divine providence is pulling people to some special place. There's a thing that they can do to help the human race to be part of that grand human that, that nobody else can do. And that might seem abstract, but think about it like this. So say you've got a kid who is having some kind of medical problem, and it's relatively rare, but you, know, you get to go to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, uh, or Pennsylvania, and you get to see a specialist there who specializes in exactly what's wrong with your, your kid. And this, you, you meet them, and they're just incredibly nice and wise, and, and they do this procedure that, that saves their life. How glad are you that that person exists? Right? That that person is just the right cog to do just the right thing. What Swedenborg is saying is that we're all going to be that. That we all have this potential to do something for the human race in a way that nobody else can. And we can all bring that kind of help and healing. So when we're walking by and seeing somebody on the street, that person, it, it, that's, their, that's their future. 
has become this thing that is this amazing help to the human race, maybe to you, maybe to somebody you care about, maybe to someone you don't know, but who is a full-on person as well. If we can get some sense of that, just give everybody the benefit of the doubt that this person is headed for, for great things, how does that change how we feel about them? Well, we can find out right now because we're going to do our last little meditation exercise. So let's take somebody that you, that you know, somebody, or maybe you've seen them on TV, something like that, and I would say, this is how I would do it, I would imagine them being that just the right fit for something and imagine them helping in this amazing way or just imagine a bright future for them, whatever you want to do. But the point is, we, I find that I, unprompted, I very rarely think about somebody who's not in my immediate family's future and, and, and their long-term future. So maybe it's a help, helpful exercise to do every once in a while. So we're going to have 30 seconds to just kind of try this. This will be the last so if you, if you want to nap for 30 seconds, you can do that as well. Uh, all right, here we go. I was actually doing it, and I was faced out a little bit there. I was just like starting to, oh yeah, bunk, music's off, be on stage. Um, how'd it feel? It good? Hopefully, I find that like even ideas that don't sound that great, like you could hear these things written down that we said as our three simple ways, and they, but when you try them, I, I find, I feel new feelings and think new thoughts. And that's what I'm trying to give you guys is a way to, to potentially do that if you want. And the only way we can really do it is to get to our asterisk that we've all been wondering about. So what, how do you deal with, how do you really love without, without enabling, without uh, lacking boundaries, right? All these things. Um, if you'll notice, we've mainly been telling you ways to think about people. That's all we've been. We haven't told you, like, this is how you, you go and you... You do their laundry for them. We, we haven't said actions, and that's because it's, it's actually the thought that counts. Have you ever heard of that? Um, it's our intention behind what we're doing. I can't put on a show that says, You'll, you have to act this way in this situation. All situations are way too complex for that. However, the reason that we do what we do gives it its soul, and actually, will, if we come from this place of love, it will help guide it as best as we can. And this is a concept Swedenborg talked about a lot. I would call it wise love, um, that you can actually be taking an action that externally seems relatively harsh, but, but this actually is love. And it depends on what's needed in this situation. And Swedenborg addresses this directly in his book, True Christianity. This is number 407. All these books you can download for free on Swedenborg.com if you don't have them already. Um, now I need to say what it is to love our neighbor. Loving our neighbor is intending and doing good, not only to neighbors, friends, and good people, but also to strangers, enemies, and evil people. He just really splits them up there. But we exercise goodwill in our dealings with the latter in different ways than we do in our dealings with the former. We exercise goodwill in our dealings with our neighbors and friends by benefiting them directly. We exercise goodwill in our dealings with our enemies and evil people by benefiting them indirectly through our warnings, corrective actions, punishments, and therefore efforts to improve them. So what does all that mean? Here he gives, this is a concrete example. For example, 
Suppose someone under the attack of an enemy repels the attacker and either strikes in self-defense or turns the attacker over to a judge to avoid being harmed. Say the victor maintains an intention, nonetheless, of becoming the attacker's friend. Then the victor is acting on the strength of goodwill. So what's our ultimate goal in dealing with people? If you can get, these, if you can get your, your ultimate goal is I want this person's good, even if right now you know, giving them what they're asking for isn't going to lead them to good. If in the end, even what if I say the, the thing we got to do is lock you up because you're going to hurt me, you're going to hurt someone else. As long as we're not doing that and then we don't care about them after that, it's hard. You know, I'm not saying we have to in every moment feel love to anyone, but on reflection, what's the ultimate goal? What are we ultimately thinking? And can we cultivate this idea of like once that, that this person is not there and once that's gone, I would be open to to being a friend to this person. According to Swedenborg, we still have love in our hearts then. So I'm not going to lecture you on how exactly to resolve your conflict with your brother or sister or something like that, but I am going to say that we can work on this loving. The more of that love that we cultivate, the more of a chance we have to, to do the right thing. And these are just tools that we've come up with. I tried them some. You guys go try them, improve on them, tell me your results. But just as a reminder... Maybe once this, maybe just once after you're here, maybe once a day, you know, try this process. You see somebody, you interact with somebody. The first thing you think about them is, I want this person to be happier than I am in a good way. And the second thing is, this person is not whatever's bothering you. And the third thing, this person has a future. And I don't know how you do it. Maybe you do it in the moment. Maybe you meditate on it later. Whatever you want to do. How does that stuff work? Uh, and for what it's worth, if you, if you read Swedenborg up, that's how this is a, a, a sort of like figurine of how God thinks about people. Because divine love and wisdom is, is infinitely more so thinking about us in these terms. Because if this is how heaven thinks, Swedenborg says the, the power of heaven, that's all this divine love and wisdom. So, I mean, that sounds intimidating. Like, think about people like God does, but... Any of us can say, I want this person to be happy, happier even than I am, right? We can do that. We can try it. How, if everybody did that, how's the, how's the world going to turn out? So that's what we're going to say here. All right, so that's our show for today. Uh, if you're watching online, please like and subscribe. If you're here, you're, if you're already on your phone, go ahead, like and subscribe. Um, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it. We're going to get it to a quick Q&A with a couple of online questions here. But first, uh, Swedenborg Foundation is a nonprofit, so if you want to support us, here's a little bit more about, about what we are. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. So the click is for the online people. I know you guys can't click that. Uh, and I want to thank everyone who has made a donation to Swedenborg Foundation, made it possible for us to do this today. If you're interested in anything, go over to the table there. You can become a member. You can get, you see this shirt? This is a prototype. This is a Swedenborg Foundation shirt. You can order your own shirt like that. This is the very first one that was ever made. You can get on the 
email list. You can do all that stuff. Okay, so we're just going to do, we're almost done. Uh, we do this thing, if you've seen the show before, where we take live questions from the online audience, and I like answer them, but usually I say, I don't know, maybe check, uh, I don't know. Could you restate it? I don't know. So let's, let's see if we got any questions from our, our online audience this week. This is from Mary on YouTube. So this is somebody who's been watching along with you through the camera, through the machine of the internet. It's so hard to love everyone because of the dark souls that do so much damage on the physical earth. So how can we really truly love them, right? Does anybody resonate with that? I mean, that, that's difficult. And this show has been a bit of an effort to try to show. I would say not right away. I mean, I, even with, with things that are relatively little but are, are triggering for me, I find in the moment if I try to, I love, I love them right now, you just, you'll, you're going to toss out the whole concept. But what I do is like get a little bit of distance uh, and then see if I can call up something. But, and that's only after the boundaries have been set, this wise love thing that we're talking about, where the harm, the, the immediate threat, is neutralized in whatever way, everybody's safe, then we begin to cultivate forgiveness. And I don't even know if it's totally possible for some things, right? I mean, it, it, are there some things that are unforgivable? I don't know. I mean, are, that we shouldn't expect, like they're forgivable in a like, divine esoteric sense, but that, should, that maybe there's things we shouldn't expect ourselves to be able to forgive. That may be true. As I said, I never have answers to these questions, but I like to just get the thoughts out. So those are my thoughts on that. Thanks very much, Mary. Joshua, how can we tailor this teaching to more perfectly love ourselves, say if we have problems with perfectionism? Well, it's easy. No one's ever had a problem loving themselves, have you? Uh, I'd say th these can apply. I am not my failing, right? I, I want, even saying I want the good part of me to be happy, you can do that. You can picture yourself in the same way. And, and when we think about our, I think the most potent one is the third one, thinking about the future. Whenever you're, whenever you're getting in despair about your current situation of life, this idea of like an eternal, ever-expanding experience that, that gets in, in the potential for you to serve and love, and there, it's like we have this, these little clouds that can seem really dark at the time, but it's just like the amount of blue sky that's there. I know I shouldn't say that. We've had like 12 days of rain in a row. The amount of blue sky that's coming up, if, if, you, if we can just communicate that to ourselves and to other people, you know, it, it, you, can, you can endure anything if you know it's, it's got an end to it. So those are a few of my thoughts. Thanks, Joshua. We'll do one more. Uh, this is Gregory. We are to love the neighbor, but I remember Swedenborg def defining the true neighbor as those of a godly nature because to help an evil person is, in some ways, is to allow them to enhance evil. Swedenborg does talk about that. However, he says that the neighbor is the good inside someone, that, that he actually, like the angels do, abstracts good and evil from people. So the neighbor in somebody is the good in them, which is, goes back to our first, in my opinion, goes back to our first saying, which is, I want this person to be happier than I am in a good way. So if we can be, whenever we interact with somebody, looking for, and of course, who are we to judge what, what the good and what the evil is, but we can make educated guesses, and we say, you know, what, what do I think is the good part? And, and that's the part of them that I really want to connect with and really want to serve. And yeah, you don't, and this gets back to the whole enabling thing or, or, or uh, needing to set boundaries. You don't like just give everybody who's doing harmful things more ammunition, right? Uh, I think Swedenborg has this funny example about giving someone who's attacking you a sword or something like that. He remember, he was writing when there still were swords. Um, so, uh, it, and it's, it's not just like, oh, 
there's an obvious answer to that. There's an obvious. This is a tricky thing to navigate, and it's it's basically the source of all the problems. Is how do you deal with the good and evil and everyone? But hopefully, these tools, um, rightly applied, give us a little bit of daylight. And if we practice this regularly, you gain wisdom. Swedenborg says you only gain wisdom through use. And so if we use these, we actually put these into practice. That opens the way to get more insight. And in the little bits that I've tried these tools since we wrote this show, it seems like whenever I try them, I get new insights. I had to stop because we can only put so much in this show, but definitely, you know, you'll be trying to go to sleep. And oh, wait, it could also be that. Put it on the phone. Put it on the phone. It's a true story. All right. That's it. Everybody, uh, thanks so much for coming. I, this has been cooler than I ever would have thought. So thank you. And uh, if anybody wants to hang out and keep talking about things after the show, we can...